0: The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann on today's podcast, exploring science in children's literature. Science is everywhere in everything we do, see, and read. All books offer possibilities for talk about science in the illustrations and the texts once you know how to look for them. Children's literature is a natural place to explore. In their new book, Sharing Books, Talking Science, authors Valerie Bang Jensen and Mark Lubkowitz help us develop the mindset necessary to think like a scientist and then help your students think, talk, and read like scientists. When I spoke to Valerie and Mark via Skype, I wanted to know more about how the idea for this book came to be in what they call the surprisingly powerful friendship of children's literature and science.
1: So this started and I think it was about our fourth year at St. Michael's College and I'm in the biology department and Valerie is in the education department and she was at the time teaching a graduate class in nonfiction for elementary teachers. And Valerie asked me if I would be a guest speaker in her class and being a, um, um, a professional professor, I said, what do I need to prepare to come to your class? And she said, don't do anything. Just be the scientist that you are.
2: What I really said was, bring your science brain. (laughs) And the reason I did that, I had read about this idea somewhere else and it made a lot of sense to me. My elementary teacher students were really used to sharing books with with children and talking about fiction elements. And the story, the plot, the illustrations, and the connection with the text, they were fabulous about that. But I wanted them to see that every reader brings a certain lens to a reading experience. And the best way to do that was to invite Mark to bring his science brain. You read Winter Barn to the class. I did. And I asked them, what did you think? Talk about the book. And they noticed the pen and ink drawings, very spare, very quiet, very winter mood. And the text matched that very poetic. And then I turned to Mark and I said, Mark, what did you see?
1: And I said, it's clearly a horror story. (laughs) And and that's very simply because there are predators and there are prey in the barn living together. And that not everyone is going to be happy or even alive at the end of the winter. Um, Some of the characters will be in somebody's belly and digested and used as an energy source. How did the students react when you shared your observations?
2: Well, part of it was they started to recognize that they could have gone there, maybe not as far as Mark did in terms of seeing a system and energy and stability and all of that, technical terms, but they started to see that, oh yes, all those things were present, they just needed a way in to seeing those elements.
1: Right, and it also it also emphasized that the way that you're trained professionally really does influence how you see the world. It would be hard for me not to see that, that story in that context, like that's, that's my first lens and I have to consciously change to a different lens when I when I read story like that
2: but can I tell you I will never be the same after writing this book with Mark yesterday I ran into a colleague in the hall and she said her husband had just been in a motorcycle accident and his shoulder blade was broken and he oh, couldn't go to work and her, her mother-in-law was there and everything was upside down and I, I sympathized and as I was mm-hmm. walking along after that I said to myself it's a system in change.
1: <laughs> wow. I,
2: I never would have thought of it that way before, but that just went right into
1: my head. And, and I'll tell you, it permeates my household. So, for example, we had the uh, the unfortunate pleasure of all four of us having the stomach bug at the same time oh. a couple Ago. So, we had literally every toilet and every sink being op- used at the same time. And I looked at my children and I said, Do you want to know the mechanism of why you're currently throwing up? And then I went to explain what the virus is doing and which transporters were being activated in their gut and how that was changing osmolarity. And I asked them if that made them feel any better. And they said, No. <laughs> but, mechanism the point there being is that as, as a scientist, I never stop thinking about mechanism.
0: Even on your worst day. my worst day. Well, you know, Valerie, I want to go back to something that you said. You you said, I never thought about it this way, which seems to be how people immediately react when reading this book. You know, it made me think about the theme that you have throughout the book of developing our lens. Why is that so important for us?
1: I, I, can I jump in?
2: Yeah, I'm still thinking, okay. but you jump. So, so, you know,
1: one of the Valerie and I wear these little buttons um, to graduation every year and we made them. We printed them for our first year seminar class many years ago. And what they say is embrace complexity and sort of at the centerpiece of our pedagogy for both of us is that the world is a really complicated place and that solving real problems, difficult problems requires um, an approach from many, many perspectives. And even if you have just your perspective, you need to be able to communicate it and understand other people's perspectives. So take something Really big, like global climate change. You definitely need scientists at the table, but you need economists, you need educators, you need political scientists, you need the business community. You know, there's a lot of a lot of voices that have to be um, heard at that at that table. And education. Um, traditionally it has been very siloed, and that you're in your department, and you're you know you're learning what's in your department or in your major. You know, and in many schools, including ours, is, is doing this. But Valerie and I want to be very intentional about breaking outside of our departmental boundaries and um, looking at the world through multiple lenses.
2: And I think it it commonly happens in elementary schools. For example, many are developing school gardens or recycling and composting, and smart elementary teachers realize that that's those are inter disciplinary processes or projects. And you you can work, you can see the math in it, you can see the science, you can get involved with literacy, developing signage or, or instructions. And so I think that the elementary lens already does this. You look at how can we learn about this topic or this theme? What are all the different ways we can um, examine it? But I think what I was lacking before was the terminology and the conceptual understanding of these cross-cutting concepts. And so now that I have that, my ability to integrate in all these topics in elementary school is much richer and more accurate, and I feel really confident about it.
0: And speaking of confidence, you write about how elementary teachers need to be generalists and essentially need to know everything. How can this book help teachers with that confidence in bringing more science into their instruction?
2: Well, as I as I mentioned, I think that knowing the terms and knowing these concepts, they really are cross-cutting in the sense that you see them in everything. I start to see them when I'm walking down the hall, talking to a colleague. I start to see them in illustrations. I can't not. I can't unsee them anymore. Mm-hmm. Now that they're part of my lens, it it makes me understand things. It makes me look for the mechanism, like Mark was saying. It makes me see that something. Um, is in change, but it will return to stability. And so I think that now that I have that lens, if I'm in a classroom, I see so many opportunities to uh, launch that into the discussion of anything.
1: We were also very intentional about the types of examples that we chose and we made them classroom based. So everything, when we're deconstructing any given concept, the, um, the examples that we use are found in probably every classroom in America. And and then furthermore, um, one of the things that we noticed while writing it, and I don't think we started in this place, but we ended in this place, is that language already hints at all the cross-cutting concepts. So, for example, every time one of us says "because," mm-hmm. really, what we're saying, so we're giving foreshadow to. I'm about to tell you the cause.
0: There's a section I like a lot where you write about books that shout scale. You specifically highlight how not only the words carry weight, but so do the illustrations. Can you explain
2: a little more about that? Sure. Um, There's some books where it's where it's a tool that authors use like Steve Jenkins. He just his book actual size. We know right then and there how big something is because he gives you a picture of the gorilla's hand. That's Um, mathematically accurate. But then there are other books where you can talk about scale. You can see that something's far away because the people are really small. Or you can see that this tree, this tree that someone planted, has grown over the years because the person next to the tree is tiny compared to the tree.
1: We looked at a, at a book that had an illustration of tumbleweeds. And let's say that you're from New England and you've never seen a tumbleweed. And the only thing that gave you an inkling of what this, the actual size was, was um, an animal, small mammal that was next to it. So instantly, um, any reader would be able to know what's the size of a tumbleweed. What's well, about three times larger than that small dog?
0: That's great. You also talk about the challenge of time for this idea and the importance of mindset for making the strange familiar. Can you talk more about that and the importance of read-alouds?
2: Sure. I mean, I think that one thing that Donald Graves said the first time I ever heard him speak was that we have a cha-cha-cha curriculum. And I think what I took that to mean was that we have so many things to cover that it's hard to find the time to uncover things that people keep adding to the curriculum, important things, uh, but they never say what to stop doing and they don't give us more time. And so classroom teachers, and I work with student teachers a lot and they're they're surprised to see how time affects everything they do. And so in a in a climate of testing where most of the testing is about literacy and math, science often gets relegated to once a week or if we have time or if we finish. And so this doesn't replace science inquiry, but it's something that that you can talk about in any discussion whenever you read aloud. And by discussing in a read aloud the illustrations, it's a it's a point where students can start to use that lens. And so they're looking at familiar illustrations, but they're stepping back and trying to apply something new. And I
1: think the key word is habits of mind. You know, it's a habit. Mind uh, of scientists and developing a habit is just that. You need to do it frequently or even daily, ideally.
0: As we wrap up, what are your thoughts and hope for the book in terms of influencing classroom practice?
1: You, you know, um, one of the things that I, that I always say to, to my to my students um, at St. Michael's is if it happens, there was a cause and there's some mechanism. And, um, you know, my biggest hope and dream is that there'll be a generation of people who start to think about mechanism so that if you see something occurring, you just, you don't accept it for just, Oh, that happened. You're like, huh, I wonder how that happened.
2: And the way that I think about it or what I'd like to see happen is kind of the aha that Mark and I had when we started to notice how many linguistic cues there are to these cross cutting concepts. It's not really layering science onto everything else. It's kind of digging it out and um I think one thing that it did for me was it enriched my reading experience yeah. because I started to see, wow, there's cause and effect everywhere. And what is the mechanism? It was when that character did this. Um, and same thing with stability and change. Plot, plot structures are all about stability and change of a system. And so the science is enriching the, the literature and vice versa. And,
1: and we're all natural scientists. That's the thing about it. Like, like we're physical beings. We live in a physical world. We interact with gravity every day and we even know how to do it even before you know the word gravity. And so part of it is giving giving kids that vocabulary and that lens to start to see what they already intuit and to name it and become familiar with it.
0: My thanks to Valerie and Mark for their time today. You can learn more about their book, Sharing Books, Talking Science on the Heinemann website at Heinemann.com where you can watch a series of video interviews with them talking more about their work and working with students. You can also read a sample chapter of the book and so much more. Be sure to check out that and all we have to offer on Heinemann.com. And be sure to also download the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. You can also get some samples from Mark and Valerie's book as well. And don't forget to follow Heinemann on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.